Welcome everybody to another episode of Wealthy Experts. And today we are lucky enough to have Craig Bannister, Executive Director at Palace Capital. Now you might be wondering, what is Palace Capital? Who is Craig? And what are we talking about today? Well, we're very lucky to have Craig because he's well-traveled executive who has been around the globe investing in real estate, investing in financial markets. And Palace Capital today has well over a billion dollars in funds under management. There is a hell of a lot to learn on this show. Craig, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, you know, before we kick it all off, I'd love to learn a little bit about Palace and, and what you've been doing. It's, it's been around for 10, 15 years and you've built a substantial asset base. How has that kind of come about and, and what are you doing today? Yeah, well, Palace Capital actually started in 2016, and um, it, it was a, a, a bringing together of people that, um, that I've known for quite some time. Um, our chairman, I've known for 25 years in different businesses, and, and we've worked together through financial services businesses in the 90s and in, through the noughties up in Singapore and, and uh, throughout Asia. And, um, and then in 2016, I was still in Singapore and um, I, I got a call to say, come back to Sydney where we're starting a, a non-bank lending business. Um, the, the market is, uh, is hot to trot for other lenders coming into the space. And, you know, we think this could be a great opportunity. So um, I came back from Singapore, joined forces with uh, our chairman, Patrick Keenan, um, our other director, Mark Spring, who I've known for 30 years as well. So the relationships in the business go very, very deep. And, um, and that's one of our strengths. And then uh, with two other directors, Dan Gallen and Charles Mellick, we started um, uh, the, the Palace Group, which consisted of two parts to that. It was a, on one side of the fence, you had a, 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 a commercial real estate developer, which is developing luxury apartments, mostly in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne, and, uh, and also luxury office developments. And that was Fortis Development Group. And then on the other side, we had Palace Capital. And uh, Palace Capital is a non-bank lender and uh, an asset manager, really. So we, we manage the loans that we make to commercial real estate uh, borrowers. And, uh, and they're using that money for various usage, but mostly it's in the space of building uh, apartments, uh, mostly luxury apartments we've been lending to, um, and also office developments. And so from, from the early days of 2016, when we started, um, the growth of the non-bank lending sector has certainly blossomed um, into, into what it is today. And there's, there's a lot of you know, new, new entrants coming into this marketplace. Um, and in a way, we're competing with the banks, but, but also taking up space where the banks have pulled back from the lending space. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest changes that happened in around 2016. We, have, we had banking royal commissions coming in. The banks were really being told um, that they were a little bit out of, a bit loose. They were, they were, they were you know, sort of, they were making mistakes along the way. And that, that those banking royal commissions caused the banks to pull back. And so their, their lending to various commercial developments really, really was restricted. And uh, in that space, that's where these non-bank lenders have stepped in. And so, um, so, that's the space that we operated in. It's it's a very safe space that the banks used to be in and they've just pulled back a little bit. So Craig, I mean, some people may think it's risky, like development feels scary to a lot of people, lending feels scary to a lot of people, but with your experience and the fact that you have, you know, almost Fortis on your side, Fortis, for all of you that don't know Fortis, give them a quick Google. 
absolutely beautiful developments, yeah. top flights, yeah. commercial stuff and residential apartments. It's really, really nice stuff. So that's enabled you to really move fast, understand the space with a great deal of intimacy and assess risk. And I really like your model because you are, uh, the areas that you're going into uh, are not going anywhere. There's only so much land in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and, and you do stuff outside of Sydney as well, I've, I've seen, but. Down in Melbourne, eastern suburbs of Melbourne mostly as well. So the two sort of prime luxury areas really in, in Australia, that's where we mostly lend to. So you're right, asset values don't seem to fall too much in, in those parts or well, not as much as other more risky areas. I'll, I'll, I'll jump into that in a second. Yeah, I was going to say, and is this part of your strategic, the, the, the strategy behind the business? And, you know, yeah. obviously, there's a, it's harder to enter those markets. The barriers to entry are incredibly difficult. Um, do you have intentions of staying in this space or do you want to diversify and move away from that? And, and is that part of the investment philosophy? Yeah. When you look at the business, really, and the people that are doing it, so, you know, you're right to... To run a business like this, you need a, a wide array of skill sets and people um, from credit um, to origination, loan origination, to, to distribution and raising capital to, to fund those projects. So it's it's very hard for one or two people to set up a business like this. So it is large in, you know, businesses that will, will be in the space um, with a variety of skill sets across those sort of industries. So you know, Palace Capital, um, we've been able to hire experts really um, in the field, whether it be origination, credit, um, legal, um, you know, our team now consists of over 45 people just in Palace Capital. And I think there's another 40 in the Fortis Development Group side as well. So we're up to about 80, 85 people in the group. Um, and that's from 2016. And even in the last year through COVID, we've, we've grown with another 20 odd people coming through. So COVID has not been a restriction. It's been a, a growth um, factor, which has been amazing. So, but you know, you get back to these loans and the security around the loans. Um, it, you know, it really is very important how it's all structured. Um, and generally, when we when we look to make a loan, um, and let's call that a loan to a commercial developer who's building twenty luxury apartments, so that's a fairly standard type type loan for us. Um, first thing we do is, you know, you assess the value of the land and the site. So, you know, that that. In, encompasses getting external uh, valuers, uh, CBRE, Cushman Wakefield, Pontons, if it's a luxury house. So again, experts in the field will value the asset. And let's call that asset $10 million. Um, and everyone agrees it's a $10 million asset. Then we make a loan under a first mortgage against that, um, normally to a maximum value of 65% or loan to value ratio, 65%. So in its simplicity, that asset, uh, and we might make that loan for call it one year or 15 months, if it's a construction loan, um, and in that time, that developer is doing something with that land. Um, they're either getting uh, plans through council to build the apartments, or they're building the apartments, um, or they're selling the apartments if it's at the back end. But uh, essentially, that that you know that ten million dollar asset against our six and a half million dollar loan, it's got to fall thirty five percent before you start to lose a dollar. So. Whilst we have these market gyrations and, you know, we've seen it over COVID, we've seen wild swings in, in equity markets and, and listed, you know, A-REITs and, and these other investment products, um, our investments have stayed dead flat. Um, and in that way, property prices will fluctuate through that time. But as we're not revaling every day, we're looking at the end value of a product or what's happening over that 12-month timeframe, you know, is our six and a half million dollar loan at any jeopardy against that $10 million asset falling? And so 
it's a fairly simple model to look at and for investors to understand, should I be investing in first mortgage commercial debt opportunities, whether it's from Palace or uh, a myriad of other, uh, you know, um, non-bank lenders, you know, you, you see on TV, you know, the biggest one for retail is, is the um, Latrobe Group. Mm. Uh, you know, they're offering rates at three, four, five percent for, for retail investors. It's very, very similar to what we do. In fact, we've actually hired the head of loan origination from Latrobe and he joined us in 2019. Um, we do almost the same thing. We just offer our investors rates of seven or eight percent. So it's just a it's, a it's a much better model if you could come and invest with us rather than through Latrobe. But it's the same underlying thing. So, um, you know, the market's growing. Uh, the safety is there um, in terms of the asset. Um, we don't lend to places like a holiday house in Palm Beach, which could fall 50% and did fall 50% in the GFC. Mm. You know, but property prices in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and certainly the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, where our concentration has been, um, we saw property falling 15% in 2018. And everyone was quite nervous and scared back then, you know, if, if we... It's not too long to think back, but it was seems ages ago because we've had property just soaring in the last 12 months. But, um, you know, again, even during that downtime, we were monitoring these assets and looking at our buffer, which, you know, is a 35% buffer. So when property prices were, were coming off 12, 15%, which was the biggest falls that Sydney had seen for ages, we were still very comfortable with the underlying portfolio and, and assets that were that were there. So that buffer is really important. Um, you know, maintaining a 65% level under a first mortgage is pretty much our maximum. We we might edge up to 70% if it's on an existing asset with leases, but mm. generally it's 65%. So, so you can see the safeties there. You've then got corporate guarantees from the borrower that back that. And then the directors of, of the group will also put personal guarantees on that as well. So um, you know, that tripartite-type security arrangement just further strengthens, you know, the actual loan opportunity. Um, and importantly, this, you know, the interest, you know, how, how do investors get this 7 or 8% per annum rate? Well, in a nutshell, if we're lending to that borrower um, at, call it 9 or 10%, we might be offering our investors a margin below that. And that margin below that might be 150 or 200 basis points. So our investors could be getting a 8% return. Yep. And as an investor prepays most of his, his interest for, for a year, we have that interest sitting in our bank account. We can pay our investors monthly or quarterly. So we're never chasing a borrower to say, you know, you owe us this month or this quarter's interest. We have it already. Um, and so that smooth line through COVID of being able to pay interest on time every time that's that's how it happened. So, so, Craig, that's a very it's a very interesting model because on the outside, again, people would have thought it's risky. But now that you've taken me through the whole thing, it's it's abundantly clear that there's so many um, securities that are so many layers of security that are in place to protect your investors and, and the business. Yeah. Um, may I ask you what are you seeing in the market today that you think is especially relevant to yourself? to your investors, to the people you're lending money to, and, and just the people at large. Because if, if we read the news and we're paying attention, market's been running very hot, 20, almost 30% in some markets. Um, and now we're starting to hear that interest rates may go up. There's going to be some changes to lending policy 
Uh, some people saying next year there may be a five, six percent growth, maybe a ten percent price decline. Where do you sit on that fence? How do you sort of see the next twelve to twenty-four months? Yeah, well, I think prudently you've got to expect that that's going to happen. I think we've we've had this run, um, and it's not just Australia. It's uh, it's looking looking wild, you know, further afield into markets like the US, which are clearly leading in some um, inflation indicators now. Um, you know, everyone's sort of second guessing, are these permanent? Um, but, you know, we, we all feel it. We all know prices are going up. We all know inflation is here. Um, the, 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 I suppose the pendulum on the other side is that the government's got so much debt that they've tried to keep interest rates so low until growth really does kick in. So it's a balancing act for them to say, you know, we need to keep rates low. We need to really stimulate the economy after COVID. Um, do we get that growth happening? Inflation will come and then they'll act and then rates will rise. Now, traditionally, when that happens, you know, property markets will come off a bit. Um, how much they come off will be anyone's guess, really. We've had economists thinking that we we're going to have 20 or 30% price declines coming into COVID. Mm. Um, that didn't happen. Same sort of thing. Now we're getting economists saying 20% price falls could happen again. Um, you know, without without the real driver of unemployment going through the roof, which I don't see. I, you know, I think the, the economy is growing. You know, we're we're coming back into you know a lot of different work. Um, you know, whether it be in cities or outside of cities, and you know, all different types of um, work, non-work from office type locations. So people are being productive in different ways. So I don't see unemployment being a a rising factor, which really causes some of the, the bigger property crashes. So I think we might see a general decline in property mm. prices, but it's coming back from a, what have we had a 30% rise over the past 18 months or something in Sydney and, and Melbourne. So huge gains. And, um, and we, we all know how unaffordable that has been for people trying to get into the market. So if you're on the elevator, fantastic. You've had a great run and you're sitting there with great gains, but giving back 10 or 15% of that won't mean anything to anybody really. It's just, okay, you're, barbecue talks not so ebullient about how much money you've made on your property gains but you've still got a great house and it's still you know it's still well up from where it was so i think you know and how does that play out in our in our space you know being a non-bank lender to property developments um again i come back to that buffer um we're at 65 percent lbr so and our time frame on a loan is 12 to 18 months normally um that's a fairly average time frame um, and in that time frame, what sort of property price falls can you get? Um, so, you know, at a at a nasty price fall, I'd expect fifteen percent over a year could be quite could be quite sudden. And um, and I still see that as being a good buffer for us at the back end. If we had to sell a property or something, you know, to get out of this loan, we've still got a very good buffer. So. Yeah. So is that a lesson then for us, Craig? I mean, the people that are out here invested in property, in real estate, in, in trying to build a portfolio, uh, something I'm hearing from you is really don't level yourself too high. No matter what the asset is, you want to have that cash buffer or asset base where even if you do see a sharp decline, you can take, you can weather the hit and, and afford to service that debt. Yeah. Yeah. It's, look, you know, I'm sure we're going to see some mortgage stress in the market over the next 12 months. And, and that will generally be from people that have, borrowed absolute to the maximum, whether they've gone up to 90% and then taken you know, mortgage insurance over, over on top of that. So, you know, that that's unfortunate if that's happened. I think the banks have been fairly prudent to try to stop a lot of that, but, you know, we don't know to the extent of it. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's likely to happen, yeah. 
So. Craig, I, I want to ask you, you've been very generous with your time today and you've been telling me a lot about Palace Capital, but I feel like you've got an interesting story to tell. Um, you kind of spent 20 years in Singapore and, and not walked away with some stories. You've kind of been in financial markets and in real estate and uh, during that time and, and not walked away with a wealth of experience and a couple stories to tell. So um, may I ask you a little bit about that and, and your personal sort of wealth creation story and how you've built, built what you've got for yourself today? Yeah, sure. But the, the, most of the stories in Singapore I can't tell. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, th this show really is about how we can learn from experts like yourself and I want to ask firstly, like, what does wealth mean to you? I mean, you're, you're around money all the time. Uh, you know, when I read your synopsis and some of the things that you've been putting out there, it does sound like, you know, health and fitness and family, all these types of things are important to you. But, you know, how would you define wealth? And then I want to ask you after that, what's the one or two things that you live by to help you build that wealthy life? Oh, it's a big question, isn't it? You know, what does wealth mean to somebody? It's, um, it's a tough one. Um, for me, it's... Um, you know, it's a, it's a way to gain, um, yeah, in, in a way, you know, I, I know that creating creating a buffer or, or enough wealth can certainly give you some freedoms to, to get more happiness and, um, and create opportunities in life. So um, it's, a, it's a slippery slope sometimes, you know, I think in the past I've tried to roll the dice and, and go big on a few things and, um, and generally they've blown up. Um, um, you know, that one in 10 thing, well, it might go once one in 10, but at nine out of 10, it, it doesn't, right? So so there's been a few of those along the way that I've I've put, you know, money in and, and I've lost money. Um, um, generally, with, with hindsight of looking back over 20, 30 years now, some of the investments that are slower and steady, you know, when you look back on things, you go, I wish I'd done a little bit more of that. Um, in the petulant 20s and 30s, that's not what you're looking for. So depending on the age of, of the viewer, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot harder um, in your younger days to think long-term. Um, but I did have a, I had a gentleman that I met when I was about 27, 28, and he, uh, he uh, convinced me to put money into a, um, a long-term 10-year tax-free savings plan. Um, and I did that. And, uh, and I was earning some good money back then. And um, it, it, it built up this, incredible pool for me as a young 30 year old of over $300,000. And, um, and it, it was the, the stepping stone to get into, into a lot of things, property back then I did buy property and, uh, and it was, that was, you know, it's, it stuck with me that, well, there's one thing that I did and, um, you know, kept on putting money into it. And 10 years later, it was tax-free and there was this big pool. Then I went, you know, that grew out of nothing sort of thing. So um, one advice there, you know, the next advice now is, you know, maybe have 10% of, of something in something that might go 10 times. But if you lose that 10%, there's no tears. And, and you walk away going, oh, well, it didn't, it didn't cost me everything. But it also gave me a chance to, you know, make something that might be a little bit outlier and, you know, got me to somewhere where I didn't think I could be. But um, that's, that's the more risky strategy. But, you know, and we even say it with some of our investors coming in here, you know, we've got some equity investments that are 20, 22, 24% per annum, but it's in property development and you could lose it. Mm. So if you've got, a, you know, 100,000 or a million dollars or $10 million and you're looking to invest it through Palace Capital, well, 
you're not putting it all in that, please, because that could go, but put 10% in it and it might do well. So it's a balance. That's really valuable advice that I think is especially relevant in today's market where everybody can get caught up in social media, seeing cryptocurrency 10, 20 times, this stock, that stock, you know, there's an urgency to get everything done today. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not, I haven't got as much experience as you, but the, as you've just said it, looking at that 10 year time horizon, time, 10 years flies by. Does, absolutely does, yeah. So yeah. doing that safe, secure investment, doing the savings plan, doing the more steady race will lay that foundation, but then allow yourself a little bit of space to play with that 10% of your portfolio, where it could be your moonshot, where it could be yeah. a 10 times, 20 times, but don't cry if it, don't, don't regret it. Don't cry if Bitcoin crashes again. But you know, um, you know, you know. My personal thing is, you'll probably do do quite well on the ten percent of Bitcoin. So don't worry. It's uh, but but uh, you know, it'll go up and down. And you know, how how does the heart go when things fly up and down as well? So you know, take it easy on yourself. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you know, uh, there's what we like to do in this 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 segment as well is. I want to dip into some of your, your core learnings or philosophies or any books or literature or podcasts. Is there anything that you've read, listened to, seen recently that has resonated with you or a bit of philosophy or someone that's had an impact on you in your time that you've been here? Mm. Yeah, um, there, there's, a, there's an old movie and it's a, I think it's a Kevin Costner movie called Field of Dreams. Um, yeah. You build it, they will come. Um, uh, and... Uh, it's sort of the story of Palace Capital a little bit. You know, in 2016, um, we started off with our own money and we put $10 million into it and started making commercial loans and um, documenting them and making sure that they were, they were all set and, and we were getting 12 or 15% on, on the, our, our investments back then. And, and we were thinking, well, where's the, you know, where, where's the sort of stuff that's going to go wrong here? How do we? And we just tested it, really. We, we tested it with our own money. And then we, we got friends and family in there in the next year and got them 12 or 15%. They were like, this is fantastic. Thank you. Um, and we kept on building that. And, uh, and we got friends to come into the business and, and develop the business a little bit further that way. And um, we, create, you know, so we, 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 we brought in more money that way. And those investors were getting this thing. And we, it was almost this step-by-step -step growth and we built it day by day and slowly, um, you know, it wasn't too long. Three years ago, I think four years ago, somebody said, what size do you want to get to Palace Capital? I said, oh, I, you know, a few hundred million dollars would be lovely. And we could, you know, all go sailing and, you know, have a, have a lovely time whilst we, whilst we do this. And you know, now we're a billion dollars and that's gone out the window because we're working hard and we've never worked again. But um, it's been a step-by-step -step process. We built it day by day. So, um, that old movie, Kevin Costner. Yeah, there you go. You know, build it and they will come. <laughs> build, build it and they will come. I yeah, think it's really... a baseball park, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In the cornfield. Yeah. I, I actually really, that, that story about your business, it resonates with me in so many ways because people do say the overnight success and they don't really appreciate that. It all starts with little humble beginnings and momentum builds very quickly. And if you found something that's genuine, if you're offering value to the market, it'll find people will find you. Yeah, well, that that build it very quickly thing certainly has happened. Um, you know, we um, we couldn't have really envisaged almost the growth that we've had, um, and that's been amazing since 2019, 20, and through COVID and into 21. Um, you know, the the growth has been phenomenal, and. Um, 
And it's a testament to the team that we've got now in Palace Capital, the people we've hired, um, the depth of experience. Um, it really is a, you know, a massive team effort to get to this point. And it's, you know, it's still, I love to say it now, but we're still just getting started. It's, um, it's so much, uh, you know, opportunity going forward. Um, and I think this sector for investors will, um, will become more mainstream. It's sort of been a, a part of the investment market that people didn't really understand about, um, you know, non-bank commercial, you know, debt investment opportunities didn't, didn't resonate. A lot of the wealth planning groups don't really understand it or don't look at it. Um, so it's, it's gaining acceptance into a lot of the um, conduits for investors. How do they, how do they get seven or eight percent on their portfolio if they've got a wealth manager? Um, and traditionally that wealth manager might've been looking at colonial first state products or some sort of other asset manager that hasn't got into this alternate asset space. But, you know, you'll hear more and more about it. You'll see more about it. And it's, it's available, you know, whether it's a retail investor or a wholesale investor, there are avenues into, into this space. And, um, you know, the, the market's growing. Um, there's one anecdotal story that I think the growth of this market compared to where the States are and Europe is, and, and that's a, we're at the other end. And, and I look at the, the funding that goes on in the States, so the US, um, it's, it's the banking sector fund less than 30% of the commercial developments over there. So um, other funding sources are, are deeply entrenched in those markets. Um, in Europe, the banks are about 50% and non-banks are the other 50. In Australia, the banks are at 75%, 80%, and the non-banking industry is sort of 10, 15%. So I can see that the, 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 that, that will normalize our time we will become more like europe the states where you've got diverse sources of capital coming in not just our big four the pillars of the banking sector here but these other other sources of capital will flow in um, they come in behind palace capital as an investment manager and and we become bigger through offshore money let's say coming in from from all sorts of different sources um, and so we grow as a non-bank and we, we, we stand side by side with these other banking sec, you know, pillars. So that's where opportunities will come through. You'll see it more in the market. Investors will be able to get access to it um, through traditional sources like you know, their, their wealth planning groups. And they'll say, oh, yeah, we've got you know, non-bank debt product through Palace Capital or you know, the myriad of other. Through wealthy. That's, that's part wealthy. of the conversation, really. Wealthy, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have them all on your uh, on your portal saying, right, okay, non-bank debt opportunities. Here you go. Click here. Yeah, yeah. Craig, right. it, it, is a, it is an emerging market. It is a place that I've been paying very close attention to. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show today. Um, a lot of people don't understand it. It feels overly complicated. It's a tongue twister just to explain the industry sector. But I do think that there's an incredible amount of value to be had there for investors, because yeah. at a point you need to transition and walk away from doing, you know, houses and apartments and everything else. And you do need to derive a steady income to start supplementing your, your daily job. And these are the types of vehicles that, I, that I'm really interested in. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you two more questions. I know we're running out of time. Uh, the, the, it's about leaning on the network. So we have a bunch of people in our network that, that look to us for, for different reasons and also want to help. So what's one thing that you can offer to the network? How can you offer value to the network? 
Um, well, there's there's two ways. You know, Palace Palace Capital has has two two parts to it. Um, for people, commercial um, developers that might be in your network that are looking for funding, um, you could approach Palace Capital um, and. Uh, our origination team would would take that query about you know you might be looking for ten million dollars to to build a commercial office or residential apartment development you know um, that that side of the business you know would be would be one way we could offer support um, we would be competing with other non bank lenders or bank lenders um, for for that um, and then the other side is the investor side you know if people are looking for investment opportunities. Then generally we um, we've got first mortgage debt opportunities starting at around seven percent, and um, and we've got various um, diversified warehouse funds uh, that are pooled mortgage funds under with all first mortgage um, security, um, and we also have bespoke single asset investment opportunities as well. But they're all seven and eight percent in that first mortgage security range. So they're the two sides. So if you're looking to borrow money, potentially yes, you know our origination team would look at that. And as investors looking for yield, then we have these opportunities. Thank you for that. And then lastly, how can we help you? What's what's something you're working on? Do you, it could be anything. It could be my car broke. Uh, you know, I know that you're into sailing. Is there something for your boat, or is it, um, you know, are you looking to get some office furniture, whatever? Yes, We've yes, got a lot yes. of people Look, that are here. We're, we're about to sail off down to Hobart um, on the 26th of December. So, um, so you can all sort of send a prayer for nice uh, northeasterly winds all the way down to Hobart, please. You know, that'd be lovely. Thank you. <laughs> all right. We'll do a rain dance collectively and we'll send you some <laughs> lovely winds. Good on you. Craig, right. thank you very much for today. I really appreciate you jumping on the show. Uh, for all of you out there that have questions for Craig and myself, let us know. Like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Uh, have a lovely week and we'll catch you all later. Good stuff. Thank you.